I'm Hassani Dotson, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson your friend and mine Callum williams is here of course before we get into the nitty-gritty oh wait i didn't change my copy sorry that wasn't a penalty shootout before we get into the whomping that minnesota united gave san jose uh we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season allianz alina health bell bank blue cross and blue shield of minnesota federated insurance and m health fairview we really want to thank those sponsors for sticking through us throughout the MLS's back tournament and as we figure out what the rest of the season might look like. If you want to learn about more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Cal, I don't have, I don't have a clever uh, question that's not soccer-related to start the, the day with. Do you have anything that's been on your mind lately? Um, well, that is... Uh, quite the question because I've got plenty, but um, I don't know if any of them are appropriate for this podcast. So, um, I mean, we could just go right into soccer. We could, you know, we'll just let you just let it evolve naturally if you want. Well, here's the thing at the moment, right? So, right now, I'm at the stage of the year where I'm wondering is it appropriate to wear a sweater at the moment? I see Ooh. you're wearing one. I wore I'm... one earlier today, it was sort of high 60s, low 70s, yeah, and I saw one or two other people wearing sweaters, but then also saw an individual walking down the street with flip-flops and T-shirt and shorts. So it's that weird sort of time, isn't it, weather-wise for Minnesota? Yeah, well, we're having one of those, you know, it's sort of like a, a preview. It's not really, it'll get hot again. It, we're, it's just the beginning of August, right? But we've got that little that little burst of, of cooler air that came through, which is great. This is my favorite kind of weather. And so um, I'm all for it. I am currently wearing uh, a sweatshirt over a t-shirt and then shorts and no socks. So that's sort of the weird in-between vibe that I have. I basically, I had to, I was went outside to work today and it was a little chilly, so I put on the sweatshirt, but didn't want to put on some jeans. I haven't put on jeans in I don't know how long. Like I haven't put on pants and I don't know how long. I've just strictly, strictly shorts for the last month at least. So all the days just kind of blend into one another. But I do love putting on a hoodie. I get excited to do it. Um, it's one of my favorite things, uh, and putting on a, putting on sweaters, you know, back when this, uh, you know, sort of lockdown started, I, um, you know, basically wore a hoodie and jeans every day. And then occasionally I would put on like a sweater to just feel like I was a little more at the office. Uh, but it's been a while since I've had to do that. So I encourage, I, I encourage sweater wearing generally. It's, it's a good look. I think I have worn a lot of, of, sweatpants and stuff during this whole thing but uh, I, I love my jeans as you know Steve I love wearing um, skinny type jeans I'm not a shorts guy at all I've got terrible ugly looking legs so, um, even when it's 90 degrees outside I find it even then very difficult to wear shorts I just yeah. can't do it shorts don't look good um nobody looks good in shorts i mean no. a really good looking person looks fine in them but they're not there's just no it's not like a good look but sometimes you just have to wear shorts i mean and it's there's no 
they're either too short or they're too long or they're baggy or they're cargo shorts and you shouldn't wear cargo shorts or it's like, you just need to, it's like neutral. You just want to get out of there without like making any kind of statement about your shorts whatsoever. So I have some very generic, I have like a gray pair and a khaki pair and I just rotate them. Uh, and you know, they're very boring and that's what they should be. Just don't, you don't want to draw attention to the shorts is my opinion on them basically. Yeah. Cause it then draws attention to the legs. And when you've got legs as hideous as mine, <laughs> That's a real problem for you. I reckon if I pressed my leg up against a white wall, it would disappear. <laughs> Shorts not a real not not a real forte of the British. I feel like no, no. <laughs> All right, let's get into San Jose. Uh, this game, as, as I was sort of going back over it, I think that against um, some of the other teams, I've done more of a, a blow by blow of sort of looking at different stages of the game. Um, I just didn't feel like doing that. This time around, based on how it was, I felt like the tenor of the game was more or less consistent from from the get-go. And uh, this is I even uh, – we might bring this up, but I alluded to the, the, the commentators talking about – actually, I didn't bring this up So in my notes. I'm going to have to bring this up. Maybe I'll bring this up now after I make my initial point. Um, I feel like we haven't seen uh, Minnesota United come out of the gates that aggressively in, in quite a while. Like, and certainly not – uh, in this tournament. And again, that didn't mean, you know, they had less of the ball per usual 35.7%, but just dictated the tempo and and the tenor of the game right away. It just looked like San Jose was never comfortable right up until they conceded the first goal and then conceded the second goal seconds later, it felt like. Um, and so here's the point that I, I had not included, but I'm going to make now, which is that late in the game, uh, the announcing crew sort of seemed to say, why is Minnesota continuing to to push up? You know, like why are are the midfielders? I got some construction outside my house. If you can hear that, sorry. Um, why are why is Ethan Finley up there, like 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 pressing high and everything like that? And I'm kind of like, you know, it's gotten you this far. Like it, San Jose relies on you sitting back to any extent and allowing them to. Oh my. Are we, are we sure that's construction, or is that Guran <laughs> Kachia trying to turn? <laughs> Which one is that? Yeah, maybe. Um, so um, the, but that's sort of what got you there is like playing that high press. Like, why let them get comfortable again? Because what San Jose wants to do is send you into chaos, and if you pushed them into chaos, like I would just never, I would just never let up. Is my feeling. There it is again. I'm gonna close the window. You start. You keep talking. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, um, I joke about Cashier, but I thought he was very good, actually, for the earthquakes uh, the other night. And um, it was perhaps, for me, Steve, it was perhaps the most complete performance we've seen from Minnesota United during this tournament. And it's ironic because I said that against uh, the earthquakes when Minnesota played them in the the regular season before we had the stoppage in play. Um, There's something that Adrian Heath does against this system um, uh, that just seems to work every time. And look, it was obvious again, wasn't it, that that because of the way the earthquakes play, from a, a man-marking point of view, when they've only got one centre forwards, one of the centre-halves is going to have an, have an abundance of space again. And, and we saw that. I mean, how high was Michael Boxall at one stage? And then Chase yeah. Gasper. You yeah. know, so it, it just... Um, the man-marking thing, has, look, it has its advantages, no doubt. But it, it can be a, a real issue um, if uh, if you've got players who aren't being marked. And, um, you know, like as I said, I thought Boxall um, took advantage of it. Casper very nearly did as well. Um, 
Yeah, when you get when you get Chase Gasper into the box, like that was a real you know, that was a real eye-opener moment. Like we knew we've I've seen we've seen Boxall like get forward, uh, especially against San Jose, but Chase Gasper just like a foray all the way across the box. <laughs> like it's some interesting wow. stuff you don't see. Just given so much space and, and then I thought uh, Ozzy Alonso was immense again. Yeah. Um, just covering for when those two centre halves had the space to get into. Um you know, and for, for me, though, Steve, I thought Hassani Dalton was superb. Hassani Dalton was, was, again, wonderful in a position that he's not a natural in. Um, he's immense going forwards. Uh, he's disciplined from a defensive point of view. Look, he's nowhere near the level that Roma Metanier is. But for a young lad who, who has not played at fullback a lot during his career, yes, we know he's, he's played several times, but it's not, not a regularity for him. Uh, I, I thought he was flawless, and, and I'll add to that in the fact that I thought Corey Hayes gave a really good account of himself as well in, in that role. So, um, all in all, Steve, like I said, I thought it was the most complete performance from Minnesota United during this MLS back tournament, and I actually think it sent a really strong message out to the teams that remain in this tournament as well. Yeah, yeah. I th- there's a couple of things you touched on that that I wanted to bring up. I thought that um, you know the, the the booth remarked a couple of times that that Ozzy Alonso is almost playing as a sort of a third center back right now um, in a lot of ways. We've talked about him dropping between the center backs, but it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, without Opara being in there, um, you know, Aha's done, uh, done yeoman's work in that position, but without Opara and then, you know, playing with in the four, three, three, where you have both Gregush and then either, you know, Hassani Dotson or Jacory Hayes, depending on the game ahead of him and then met near out, you know, it's like, just keep him back there. Like he can, he can lock things down um, back there. I think that um, sort of as we saw against the crew, uh, Minnesota really limited that distribution from the midfield, which, you know, against Columbus, it was Darlington, Nagby, and Nartour. Against San Jose, uh, Jackson Ewell, uh, who's done terrific work hitting those diagonals um, for San Jose once things get disorganized, was neutralized very effectively. Um, and it was, like you said, I mean, it's just one of those things that even though it was a different setup than than Adrian Heath has had before playing this team, he still, you know, knew exactly the right game plan to sort of pull out and the like the buy-in to get from his players. Because that, you know, again, they were very aggressive right away and it demanded a lot of running out of, out of those guys. Um, I think that Hassani was great. Um, that's two games in a row that he's been fantastic. Got um, two assists in this game, which are his his first two assists in MLS play against MLS competition. He had a couple of assists last year in the Open Cup, but um, no assists before that, I believe. I hope I'm right. You're looking like maybe you think I'm right. Um, numbers, but it's, let me tell you about soccer. It's hard. There's a lot of competitions out there. You can't like finding all the stats is like in basketball. It used to be like, all right, well, this is the NBA. But like, I thought it was his first two assists as a pro. And then I was like, wait, I got to go to transfer market. I got to go look up, you know, like the all competitions. And I see he has a couple. So it's hard work out there trying to figure out these these stats. You have to. And even now as well, because obviously the group stage counted towards the MLS regular season from a statistical standpoint. Now, though, because we're in the knockout stage, it doesn't count towards the regular season. So right now, I'm doing the research for the last game, and, and as I'm, I'm doing my notes on, on Orlando City as we speak, and you're thinking, hang on, you know, um, Juan has, has played more games than they're leading on. And the last game wasn't against such and such. It was against the LAFC. And it's because the league aren't, aren't counting this, yeah. because it's not a part of the regular season. So yeah. straight away, 
Kindred D St. Aubin texted me earlier on this morning having a bit of a whine about it because it, it means we've got to think about the, the math side of it, you know, and it's um, a little bit more difficult than what it usually is, which usually it's, it's a little bit difficult as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's confusing. It leads to things like, you know, Minnesota United is, is undefeated in 2020, um, not in MLS regular season because, I mean, they are, but there's a bunch of other teams that are undefeated in the MLS regular season. Um, FC Dallas is undefeated in hmm. 2020, but they've only played two games <laughs> because they had to leave. So, you know, it's like, it's super confusing in this thing about MLS competition, right? So I'm saying it's his first two assists in MLS competition. These don't count as the regular season. It's a separate thing. And one of those assists in the Open Cup was against SKC. So that was against an MLS team. So it's super, it's super confusing. But anyways, the thing about Hassani that I wanted to say is I thought that you sort of saw, um, I mean, I think that the, the the midfield position is is a much more technically complicated position um, than than right back, and I think you saw him enjoying a little bit. And he, he sort of addressed this after the game as well. Like it's it's a lot more long distance running. You're coming up and down, and you got to shut down you know the opposing team's winger. But it's a lot less of that judging space of moving left and right to sort of um, you know react to what other people are doing. It's a little more straightforward. And I thought you saw him sort of relish that chance to kind of just be athletic and run and hit pass, hit long, long diagonals in and things like that. Um, and it's great. I mean, there are worse problems to have than finding out that you have, you know, a guy who can play several different positions that you've got, you brought in, you know, Ja'Cory Hayes, Marlon Harrison and Raheem Edwards, and all those guys have been contributors at different moments in this tournament so far. Um, I'm sure it's a problem that Adrian Heath loves to have, which is having guys who push, who push those first team guys for minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's going to be a continuing trend if, if Adrian Heath has his way with some of the new additions that they're planning. You know, I think um, Edwards and Hairston uh, have, have offered a, a lot for Minnesota United uh, since coming in. And um, look, I think it, it's, it's safe to say, Steve, that, and, and we, we might have said this on a previous podcast, I can't remember, but when you think of Edwards, Hairston, and Hayes and, and how they identify with this roster, it's so to say, 2017-2018, they would have been starters absolutely no problem whatsoever. Oh, yeah. yeah so it's definitely. a credit to the roster that's been put together right now that players like this aren't starting. And remember the first two games, I believe Ja'Cory Hayes wasn't even in the 18, you know, yeah. which is a lot. So um, I, I'm excited to see what they can do moving forward, that they offer Minnesota United uh, a, lot, a lot of different angles, a lot of different uh, ways of playing. Um, and look, they're, they're young, energetic, and um, I think as well, in, in my opinion, th- these are individuals who I think may have a little bit of a point to prove as well. They're young and, and they want to prove a point. Um, that point being that they can play at, at this level and, and, and play uh, on Adrian Heath's side. But but also, if you think about it, you know, Marlon, Marlon Hairston obviously was a regular at uh, Colorado for a long time. Went to Houston, and I know he had an injury problem or two, but it didn't really work out for him. So if I'm Marlon Hairston, I want to prove myself again that I can I can play at this level. You could say the same about Raheem Edwards as well. I was stunned when I found out that he was taken in the expansion draft originally by LAFC, then traded to Montreal, then he got sold to Chicago for $400,000 and didn't get much of a look in at Chicago. I thought to myself... I remember this kid bursting on the scene at TFC and, and mm-hmm. uh, when, especially in 2017 when they won MLS Cup as well, he was magnificent. Um, 
And, and look, you can say the same about Jacory Hayes as well. You know, he, he was wonderful when he got the opportunity first at FC Dallas and Oscar Pereira um, and, and was brilliant. And then all of a sudden, things just don't go his way and he's not going to seem as much as he would want to. Um, so I think a lot of these lads who, who are viewed as, as squad players have a real hunger about them. I don't think we've been able to say that for the entirety of Minnesota's time in Major League Soccer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that the the fact that all those guys are also um, multi-position guys, um, you know, that, that Marlon Harrison's played right back, he's played in the midfield, Raheem Edwards played left back, he's played left wing. Um, I mean, Ja'Cory has mostly been a midfielder, but it seems like he's, his game has the kind of flexibility that can move around. Um, he two ways, Steve. He can play as a six or an eight. You know, he's comfortable yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I think that, and that's been a drumbeat that Adrian Heath has been on since the first season, which is you need to have guys who are going to push that first team uh, for minutes. And I would agree that I think a lot of the time um, Minnesota United players sort of felt secure. Like I'm probably the best guy that they have, Um, you know, they're great in their ways, great players, you know, like, um, Jermaine Taylor's not pushing anybody for minutes, um, basically at the point of his career where he was, um, you know, that, that's just, that's just the way it is. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was sort of interesting, um, is that it seemed like San Jose, I don't know exactly what the analogy here is for San Jose, but San Jose seems to have sort of that, that the style is so well-defined and Matias Almeida's approach is, uh, very unique in MLS and he's got his players to buy into it really well. When they get punched, they don't really have another way to play. Um, it's they, you know, a lot of teams, I think you would see if they're playing something a little less defined, a little less sort of unique. Um, you might say, okay, if we, if we go up a goal, you know, if we're aggressive or if we're going up a goal, we should like, then we should sit back a little bit. We should park the bus. We should move this. We should try this. We should put in this different personnel. Um, it just sort of seemed like San Jose kept waiting to be able to do what they want to do, and they never got the chance to really do it, which was just sort of interesting because I think we've seen Minnesota United um, play a couple different ways in this tournament already. Um, and I think that I think that San Jose, I guess in my estimation, is that people are really excited about San Jose and the way that San Jose plays. I think that's great. I think that if they can develop a counter move, if they can develop, this is a talked about a lot in a lot of sports that, you know, if, if somebody stops what you do well, you need to have something else that you can go to. If they can develop a counter move, then they will really become a team that is a threat in this league, I think. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up, Steve. I was going to wait and see which way this podcast went, but I, I actually thought, and I remember saying as well on the air, uh, words of the effect of, I thought as soon as Minnesota scored the second goal, I thought the game was done. I thought the game was over. San Jose had gone completely psychologically because, as you quite rightly said, they weren't going to adapt. They weren't going to play to, um, to get the better of Minnesota. They were going to play the way that they have been taught to play. Um, and look, credit to Almeida for, for sticking to his guns. We, we, we've all seen it. It is very effective. I mean, they thumped RSL 5-2 in the previous round. Um, and, and when it works, it really works. But... I think there's something to be said about you as a coach when you can adapt to the situation. Um, we've seen Adrian Heath do it several times during his tenure here, uh, going to a 3-5-2, more defensive lineup against LAFC and playing certain players in, in certain positions that, you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, didn't like, for example, when Darwin Quintero didn't start certain games. And, um, you know, sometimes it's better to adapt to more defensive philosophy against certain teams and what have you, you know? So, 
um, I think it's important to, to try and adapt. And um, I, I just thought that the main thing for me, Steve, was, as we've discussed in the previous podcast, I thought Minnesota did a wonderful job of restricting the ball getting into the, the two deep-lying playmakers in, in Yule and uh, Magnus Eriksson. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andy Rios was, was simply a spectator up front. There was nothing for him to, to work with at all. Um, the earthquakes, because they couldn't get the ball into the centre, then were forced out wide. And particularly to the left-hand side, I lost count the amount of times Vako Kashishvili got the ball and cut in. And, and, and you know, fortunately for Minnesota, launched the ball up into the heavens uh, and away from the goal on, on many an occasion. Um, Espinosa had a, a ton of possession as well, but couldn't really do much with it. Um, so, uh, look, I, I think the game plan was perfect. Uh, Adrian Heath has obviously executed it before against the Earthquakes. Um, I think it's safe to say it's a team Minnesota are very comfortable playing against. Yeah, um, let's let's move on to another topic. Uh, the thing that everybody is seems concerned to discuss when it comes to Minnesota these days, which is about disrespect and underdog status. Uh, it's it's what everybody loves to feast upon. Um, so I have some some opinions about this. I think the thing I wanted to say first of all is that um, Adrian Heath knows exactly what he's doing. There's like like anybody who's sort of like, how can you feel this way? How can he's like. This is a game, and he is playing the game within the game, which is um, manipulating the media, and it's and it's providing motivation to his uh, his players as well. Um, and I think he's getting exactly the results he wants out of it. He's done this before. He's an experienced football individual, and what he's doing with this, Steve, is he's obviously motivating players. Um, you know, I th- I think when. Uh, you continue to be viewed as an underdog, you you do have this chip on your shoulder. And for a long time, let's be honest, Minnesota were viewed as the underdog. And let's be totally honest about this as well. In every single game the Loons have played in this tournament, they've been viewed as the underdog. Yeah. So it's okay to be identified as the underdog right now, in my opinion, even if people don't think that's the case. I also think as well, Kendra and I were talking about this on a previous podcast. How does one identify an underdog? Does it come from a certain marketplace? Does it come from financial backing does it come from previous success or is it a hodgepodge of of the majority of what i've just mentioned um i think right now with with what i have just talked about there and the points i've brought up um i think right now it's okay to be identified as an underdog because right now um it seems to be working for minnesota united um going up against columbus crew uh, who were the tournament favorites um uh, at that stage, they were the informed team. It was the team that everybody was talking about. And going into San Jose, who, who had scored, what was it, 11 goals in four games heading into that game, of course they were going to be the favourites. You know, so I, I must admit, I'm a bit surprised that apparently Orlando City are the favourites for this game. I know they've just beaten LAFC, but I think some of the football they've been playing hasn't been vastly superior to Minnesota United. But um, either way, the Loons, again, go into this game as the underdogs. And you know what, Steve? If they get to the final, I still think we viewed as underdogs. And that's okay. And Adrian Heath will welcome that big time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's I think that the underdog thing is is complicated um, because I think it isn't just unilateral based on one set of of judgments. I mean, I think it has to do with uh, with the way Minnesota is is viewed or treated or historic or, or has historically been viewed that way, it has to do with the way other teams are treated. I mean, I think it has to do like Minnesota United is never going to be Atlanta, and that includes both being sort of the league darlings and also never posting things like 
we are built for the top with Ezekiel Barco wearing a crown like days after the team won zero games and scored zero goals through the group stage. Like Atlanta's just going to throw stuff out there and just be like, yeah, we're, uh, we're the best. It's like, you didn't win any games. Like you, you scored. They, post that, did they? they did post that. I don't know if it's still up there, but I definitely have a screenshot oh, wow. of it. And it's just like, that's just not Minnesota United's style, you know? And I think this goes back to, I'm going to come back. My points are sort of out of order here, but like the self-conception of Minnesota United as underdogs is, it goes back much further than MLS. You know, yes, it, it's, yes. it's, it's not a thing that's just like, oh, yeah, we came into the league at the same time as Atlanta and everybody loved Atlanta. It goes way back. Like, this is the original team that nobody wanted. I mean, that's like part of the rallying cry for this team in NASL. Mm-hmm. They were the NSC Minnesota Stars, um, and they were owned by the league. They were going to be owned by the NASL for three years, and every, every year it was like, well, maybe we'll just fold them. Maybe we'll just fold them until, you know, Dr. Bill McGuire finally bought the team. They operated on a $1.2 million budget for the entire team in NASL. Like, that's a ridiculously small amount. They averaged 1,700 fans during the season in 2013. And then last year, opened Allianz Field and sold out every game with over 20,000 people. You know, like, Minnesota United, and I say, I mean, I am an employee and I am biased, but, like, Minnesota United has worked for this. You know, like, they have worked for this. And there's something to that. And I think that also connects to... Uh, Minnesota as a place. I think it's a regional feeling. I think that if you look at Minnesota sports teams overall, the Minnesota links aside, almost universally woeful each in their own way. Uh, you know, the Vikings are perennially good, but just as perennially disappointing in the playoffs. They always are up there, but sort of seem to never be able to get all the way there. The Twins go up and down. They have a great season. They have a terrible season. The Wolves just, you know, never, never seem to be good, period, um, overall. But but the thing is, is like the, it's, it's a Minnesota sports fan thing and, and Minnesota United came into a sports scene that is like that. And so we already I think the team already carries some of that vibe. And so when there's success, we don't want to just say, well, we're done. We've done it. It's like we know how long the road is. It's like we're, so we're going to play that that humility card. And this is the last point before I'll let you go again. And then I'll talk about something else about this. If you think Minnesota nice means that we're nice like you haven't been here long enough (laughs) for everyone who said they're from minnesota and then had someone from the east coast the west coast think they meant michigan like that's what this is like we have a chip on our shoulder like we're minnesotans it's flyover country like i think we're past i think minnesota united is is past the we're just happy to be here sort of stage of being an mls but we're also still humble like we're still midwestern you know and so this saying that we're underdogs or people counted us out that counts for beating our chests. Like that's the sort of self-flagellating version of we're built for the top that Atlanta United put out. We're saying like, that's, that's, what we, that's what we believe, you know? It's like, and there's some funny comments that come out from commentators about, you know, it's so weird that they say they're underdogs. And then they sort of, I think Kalen Carr said this, like he sort of backed into it by saying like, they do this weird thing of saying they're underdogs. And then at the end he was like, I mean, you don't have Ike Opara, you don't have, you know, Kevin Molino's been missing for a bunch of games. You don't have Roman Metinier. Like, yeah, I thought you were underdogs. It's like, yes, you did. Like, like, so it's funny. Respond, and then I'm going to say something about commentary as like from the sort of the pundit class about this as well. But please respond to whatever I just spewed. No, look, I don't have much to add. And you will know more than I will, having been here much longer than I have. But, but I, I'm glad you said it, it just feels like a Minnesotan thing, not just from a sports point of view, but from a cultural point of view and, and living here now for what has it been three and a half, four years, it, it does, it, it does feel like Minneapolis and St. Paul in particular 
are cities that are overlooked big time because Chicago's just down the roads, you know, and, and I can say this having lived in somewhere else in the Midwest, in Kansas City as well, that there's a similar feeling in terms of it, people always say fly of a country. Yep. And um, I, I just, I can't understand that because people who say that, they have no idea what's here. They have no idea what's here and how great it is here. Um, those people that do um, fly over uh, on their aeroplanes going to whatever place they're going, we'll, we'll give you a good wave and say goodbye. And, and you have, um, you can do whatever you want to do, but we have no interest in your type of uh, attitude being here. You know, it's, it's a great place, Steve. And I think um, the, the attitude uh, that we've spoken about is a, a, a part of the culture here. It's, it's ingrained in the people here. And, and that's why Minnesota United really um, will, will consider themselves underdogs I think I don't ever see this team being being viewed as a. Can you ever imagine Minnesota United being viewed as as a favourite to win MLS Cup? I just I just couldn't imagine it. Even even when when Kansas City won it back in 2013, the next year they weren't viewed as favourites. Right. I just think it's yeah. it, it's something that when you've got certain cities that are particularly in the Midwest, and I'm not saying it's not because they don't get the attention because they do get a lot of attention. Perhaps not as much as the, the bigger cities, but they do get attention. But. I honestly think it's something to do with the attitude here, the attitude to life, not just sports. Um, and I actually think with with the way that I know Adrian Heath, this type of attitude absolutely suits him. No problem at all. He will ride this for as long as he can because it's clearly working at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think the SKC example is uh, Minnesota is, Minnesota United has held itself up as, or has held up SKC as an example of like, this is right. what we should look to as a model for sort of this kind of market. And I think that's true. I mean, it's like you only really began to feel, and I'm I'm sort of backtracking to this because obviously I, as soon as I came into covering MLS, SKC was already sort of a power to some extent, but it took like a decade, right? You know, of sort of consistent success on their terms before people began to feel like SKC, SKC should be in that conversation almost perennially as a team that could, that could be a favorite in MLS. I think there's a little bit of that vibe with the Timbers to a certain extent as well. Um, you know, and that sort of, and another team that I think Minnesota United looks to as far as how to build build a team, um, you know, that that sort of sense of trying to always punch up, you know, like always not never feeling like they're going to come. They're not the Galaxy. They're not going to spend a whole bunch of money. They're not LAFC. They're not Atlanta United. Um, I mean, obviously Portland spends um, and SKC now with Alan Polito has shown that that they'll spend, but they're still going to yeah, carry that chip. That's just that's just the growth of the league. That, that's not yeah. them. I, I, honestly, I just think that's the growth of the league. I mean, yeah. uh, because you know what, five, six, seven years ago, the Galaxy would have spent that kind of money on, on a big time player, whereas Kansas City wouldn't, and the majority of the league wouldn't. But now, I think it's interesting we're seeing the Galaxy in the turmoil that they're in the moment because they're not spending the money correctly. They're not spending it on what they need. Uh, they're spending it on what I think they they assume is going to attract bums on seats because they have an issue there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think right now I, I no doubt that it's 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 a big investment from the the ownership in Kansas City. But uh, as Adrian Heath has said before, and I, I could not agree with this anymore, Steve. You have to be active in the market. You have to be going and buying players because if you stand still in this league right now with the trajectory this league is on. You've got absolutely no chance. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to say about uh, about that is just sort of the commentary angle, which is that, you know, now the popular thing is to say, like, Minnesota's ridiculous for calling themselves underdogs. Um, you know, the, the thing to understand, I think, and I'm not – I mean, I like to think I'm not involved in this in the same way, and I'm certainly not to the same extent that some of the people I'm talking about are. But, you know, the game with commentary like this is not to be – 
right or to analyze things correctly necessarily, but it's to generate heat and draw attention, you know, to yourself and to the league. And, you know, when there's sort of nothing to push back against, you're just sort of like, well, you know, like LAFC looks good. LA Galaxy spent a lot of money. Atlanta United, perennial threat, you know, and so they, they're sort of falling in line with that stuff. When he's when Adrian Heath like digs into the underdog thing, like they can't they can't resist going after it. So they sort of like grab it like a dog toy and shake it back and forth and throw it up and bat it around and shake it some more. And out of it comes like clicks and tweets and outrage. And that's what it's that's what it's built for. And Heath knows it's a game. And Alexei Lalas and Taylor Twelman, like they know it's a game and everything like that. I mean, there was I keep trying to find it, but there was some interview that Alexei Lalas did where he basically was like, My job is to get attention on this sport and I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to get that attention to soccer. And if that means, you know, being super negative, he doesn't sort of seem to draw a lot of distinction between being positive or being negative. It's like what he sees is the attention is, is the thing that gener- that is going to push this forward. That's, that's one perspective. Um, and so this is one of those things that like Heath gives them the, the dog treat and they go for it and it makes people pay attention. So it's all working the way it's supposed to is, I guess is my, <laughs> is my message to everybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As I said, mate, I, you know, I, I think, they will continue to ride this underdog, uh, what has become underdog momentum now. It really has. Um, no need for anything to change. And as I said, th- there is an element of truth about it. Because whoever Minnesota United play in the final, should they get there, still, they will be viewed as underdogs. And, and that's okay. Yeah. Let's, uh, I, I just noted, I just jotted this down because I realized I forgot to put it in the notes. Let's talk about um, your new friend and mind. Uh, I'm going to butcher, butcher this. Bakay Debassi. Bakay Debassi. Bakay Debassi. Okay. And Debassi, I was pretty close. So Bakay, Bakay Debassi. Um, you know, it, it seems like a, a, a signing that got uh, people were excited about um, as, as much as anybody gets really excited about defenders, which is not usually that much excited. But uh, the, the, the immediate, you know, returns on the announcement seemed like, Oh, this is a good addition. So what is your, uh, get, let's, let's get your pocket take on Bakai Debassi. My pocket take is I'm confused as to why people seem to think it's a depth piece. Um, yeah. You don't go and spend um, a, a, a fairly significant amount of TAM money um, bringing somebody who will uh, cost you an international roster spot um, and someone who's played over 130 games in the top two divisions in French football, the majority of it being in Ligue 1, the top division in France, um, you don't do all that for a depth piece. This is someone who the, the, the coaching staff are going to see as a regular starter. Um, and what it does, Steve, is it provides tremendous competition because from what I've seen, he's a centre-back. He can play left-back and he can play left-back quite competently. He did so for Sedan and from time to time for, for Amiens. Um, but traditionally, and perhaps more comfortably, he's a centre-back. He's a left-footed centre-back, which was the main attraction, because Minnesota United don't have a left-footed centre-back. Now, the reason why they wanted a left-footed centre-back is to help with balance, which is also something Minnesota United perhaps have not been fabulous with um, during their time in Major League Soccer. I understand that the Loons have... Um, a very good complementary of centre-backs now. Um, it's hard to think off the top of my head a, a, a better four-man centre-half depth charts. I, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, Steve, but I can't. If you think about Ico Parra, obviously MLS Defender of the Year, 
Michael Boxall hardly put a foot, puts a foot wrong the majority of games. Aha has been very impressive in this tournament. Um, and now Dibassi comes in. And let's not forget as well, we've got Brent Coleman coming back from suspension as well. Um, I, I Look, I think what this means is that I think one of those players that I mentioned will have to be moved at some stage because I don't think there's room for all of them because they're all starting caliber centre-backs in this league. Um, but for me, this is um, a centre-back who... Um, when fit, and I say that because, you know, you never know when, when injuries are, it could be around the corner. Um, it's not something he struggled with in his career, injury-wise, but um, he, he's a big, aggressive body who is powerful, who is commanding, he's tremendous in the air, um, and he looks like he reads the game very well from all the tape that I've seen. Um, I was told about this a couple of months ago, and then obviously COVID stops the footballing world. Um, so this is someone that they've, They've had their eye on for some time. And to my knowledge, a lot of the, the delay in this was because of, of Amiens um, weren't sure if they were going to be relegated or not. So they had to wait to see what, what was going on there before they could um, figure out if they were going to sell players or not. So, um, look, I, I think this is a really good pickup for Minnesota United. From, from what I've seen, uh, it remains to be seen how he adapts to Major League Soccer. Will there be a settling in periods? Will there be a honeymoon periods? Um you know, uh, I think he'll have to play his way into the team. But here's what I'll say about that. I think once he does, I think the the players and defenders around him will find it very difficult to dislodge Dibassi. It also gives Adrian Heath the opportunity to perhaps shake things up, should he ever need to. Does he want to go to a 3-5-2 away at LAFC again, where you can play a left-footed centre-back at left centre-back with perhaps Opara and Boxall then. And then you've got Roma Metanier and I'm assuming Chase Gasper playing as wing-backs, you know. Um, it, it gives them that option to do that. So, And I'm not saying they didn't have that option before because Carmen and Clayton Hours, we've seen Aha can play um, and, and could play in that three-man back line. But I think having someone with a natural left foot who is as athletic as he seems to be, I think the Loons, should they ever need to, can do this and do it a lot more comfortably than they would have had to in the past. But I, I think this is, a, as I said, Steve, from, from everything I've seen, obviously we've not seen him play in a Loons jersey yet. Um, things can go wrong. But from what I've seen, I think this is a really good pickup and I'm intrigued to see what he looks like in Major League Soccer. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. Um, I mean, obviously it's, it's good to acquire those players, as we talked about before. Um, it, getting guys who challenge for first first team spots is is what Adrian Heath wants. I think as long as everybody on the team understands that that's what's happening, it's a thing that can help because, um, you know, it, it, Michael Boxwell has been incredible this tournament. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, like the, the player of the team, like he's been sort of the, the, the guy at the back, keeping everything down. And then in, against San Jose, making sort of forays forward, you know, not that he was going to be the guy to finish most of the shots. I mean, I love <laughs> anytime he gets a goal, he's just like, I don't know how to accelerate. I never practice it. So I don't know what to do. There was one time where he scored a goal and he just started running. I remember talking to him about this and he started running down the pitch and he was like, I, he didn't know what to do. And he started running towards a group of guys. He's like, I'm going to go celebrate with them. And then he realized it was the, t- the other team's players. Like it was warming up on the touchline. He's like, Oh, I can't celebrate with them. I got to go find my team. So, um, and I love boxy, but you know, like he's never been, he's never really been challenged for his, his spot. Um, you know, and so I think that bringing somebody in who can, who can push him is good. I think that, you know, also given, you know, we haven't had 
Ike Opara in the team because of an injury. Um, and I don't know what the prognosis on that is, but he's also a guy who's getting older. Uh, if you want him to take off more games uh, to, you know, save his body for, for later games in the season, you know, sl- sliding Boxy over to the right and then putting Devasi like on the left, that's an option. Like you said, the three man back line, um, it, it just gives more flexibility to the team overall and adds another good defensive piece to a team that's become quite a good defensive team, which is, uh, which is something I didn't think I would be saying uh, two years ago. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And look as well, obviously Minnesota United have been very effective from set pieces from an attacking point of view this year as well. Devassi will certainly add to that threat because he's a big boy as well. So, um, but look, as I said, you, you don't spend the kind of money they have uh, on, on a TAN type player uh, use an international roster spot and everything to have somebody come in as a backup and depth. You know, I think um, we, we, we see it in MLS where where the uh, initial assumption is that type of player will start for you. Now, things have gone wrong in the past where we've seen TAM players drop to the bench or not be good enough and, and they've been shipped off. I'm not saying that that won't happen here, but I, I would be surprised if the insinuation was to have Dibassi come in and be a backup player. Um, I, I just simply think with with the time that's been spent, with, uh, as I said, the international spot um, that's been used, um, the amount that it takes to get an international player into this league anyway, and then during a global pandemic as well, you know, I I think there's been a lot of effort trying to get him in. So um, clearly they like him. And, um, you know, once he gets himself acclimatised and gets himself into a rhythm, uh, he'll uh, he'll be a starter for this team for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's talk Orlando City um, SC. I think I wrote FC. They're actually an SC, aren't they? So um, 538, uh, a website I I like to peruse every once in a while, has Minnesota at a a 54% chance to get through to the final. So about even, you know, uh, again, which is about where they were judged on 538 against uh, San Jose, uh, which feels pretty fair to me. I think that um, I think that the, the, the conventional wisdom probably has Orlando City sitting slightly higher, you know, for having knocked off, uh, as you said, LAFC, uh, for being nominally the home team, for having Nani, who's looked, you know, tremendous uh, during this this tournament, especially, um, who's a big name, obviously. Uh, it's exciting because it's, I mean, everybody wanted this matchup because it's Adrian Heath's former club, and they're even playing in the stadium where uh, Adrian Heath last coached with the team, um, which is kind of fun. From a USL point of view, yes. Uh, from a USL point of view, sorry. I, I meant when they were the USL team. When, uh, so, yes, not when once they became part of MLS. But, um, uh, yes, from so they played at the Wide World of Sports Complex. That was like their 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 home, home field as the other – I just looked it up this morning. Whatever that other arena where they played was under construction. So, um, it's Thank exciting. You. Thank you. Um, Citrus Bowl, thank you. Uh, Orlando City, although Minnesota United undefeated against Orlando City so far in MLS, uh, and will be playing in the fourth different venue to play Orlando City, which is the thing I found out this morning. That's true. They played at TCF, they played at Orlando, and then they played at Allianz Field, and now they're going to play here. So this is the fourth game, and it's the fourth different venue, so there's no home field advantage established. Um, What have you seen from Orlando City so far in this tournament, Cal, that makes you – that gives you a feeling about how they're going to do in this game. Uh, they're a good team, Steve. You know, they're very well coached now under Oscar Pereja. And uh, Pereja has has been so good in Major League Soccer for years and years and years. He got the, the managerial move to Mexico, which which didn't quite work out. But he's 
he's a top draw coach and obviously he's had a full pre-season with them. He's had extra time to work with them on, on the way that he wants to play. And how they play isn't too dissimilar to the way that his FC Dallas side played all those years ago. You know, they are compact. They are quick on the break. Um, they like to play off of a, of a centre forward, off of a, uh, off of a big man, um, which, uh, you know, won't be Don Blois, um on this particular occasion because of the the injury he's sustained. I, I know straight away people will say, well, Dom Dwyer's not a big man. No, he's not. But but he, Dom Dwyer's a very good player in, in the sense that he, he can press the living daylights out of the team. But he's also, he, he's got a very um, strong build as well. He, he's built very comprehensively so he can actually play as somewhat of a target man who holds the ball up as well, which is surprising for somebody who's not even six foot, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But for, for me, Steve, the, the danger's going to come from out wide. You know, um, we, we, we've had a glimpse of it already in Chris Mueller. Looks very, very good already. Um, I say already, it's his um, third year in Major League Soccer. He's, he's a very good player. Accomplished now, I think it's safe to say. He looks a threat. He looks like he's developed a lot uh, over the course of the last year. Um, we don't even need to really go into how much Nani is a threat. You know, he's, he's obviously done it, been there and gotten the T-shirt on the world footballing stage. Um and uh, they'll, they'll have support in Moutinho and uh, Juan down the, down the wings. So um, I, th- I think that's where the main area, where the, where the main threat is going to come from is out wide, Steve. Um, the intriguing thing is, is that how do Minnesota United play this now? Because now we know that Kevin Molino, at least we're told, is that he's back in full training and he's fit and available. Would Adrian Heath consider going back to the 4-2-3-1 where he did have success against Orlando with this formation, but also we've seen more recent success with the 4-3-3 in the last two games. So I don't know what Adrian Heath wants to do in terms of counteracting. Um, I'll be interested to see though, because if, look, regardless of what the formation is defensively, if it, if it is regardless, if it's, if it's Dalton or Mittenier at right back, they have to be very, very aware of Nani. Um, we, we know how Adrian likes the fullbacks to play. Um, I think Nani will be rubbing his hands together thinking, right, if you advance, I'm going to just slip in behind you here and, and he's got the players to play in the ball as well. The, the Uruguayan midfielder, Pereira, is very handy as well. And um, I think I've mentioned before, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Uri Rosell, uh, who, who um, sort of Kansas City, and uh, for me, was the best holding midfielder in Major League Soccer in his 18 months with Kansas City, arrived from Barcelona and then went off to play for, for Sporting Lisbon and uh, has found himself back in Major League Soccer. So, um, look, they, they are very well equipped. I like the centre-half, Janssen, as well. He, he's... Not too similar to Michael Boxall, big and burly, and, and throws his body in the way of things, you know. So, um, look, they're, they're a good good unit. I like them a lot. I, they're, they're so much more improved compared to the Orlando that we've seen in recent years, you know. Um, Pereja, I, I think, has um, unleashed the, the best iteration of Orlando City that we've perhaps seen in Major League Soccer. So, um, I guess to answer the question, Steve, it'll be a really intriguing task for Minnesota United. And if they get a victory over this team, they should give themselves a firm pat on the back. Yeah, I think that the um, the formation question is always a fun one to bat around, and <clears throat> and I feel like we often get into these little spots where there's been success with something that 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 Adrian Heath has had to do out of necessity, and the question is, does he stick with that or does he go back to his four two three one? The answer usually is he goes back to the four two three one. I think he's just so comfortable with that, and I you know I think if Molino can go, you absolutely want to get Molino on the field against his ex club because he definitely wants you know he's one of those he's one of those smooth and silent killers. Like he's not somebody who's going to be out there sort of beating his chest about beating his former team. Uh, whenever you talk to Molino, he's unfailingly sort of talks about just 
football and life and love and, you know, with his teammates and doing everything he can. But like, he's out there on the field, like talking trash to other people under his breath. Like he is, he will get under other players' skins. And I know he's going to want to do that against Orlando. So I think if you have the chance to put him out there, that, that, that Adrian Heath is probably going to want that to happen. Um, another thing that Minnesota United has talked a lot about is recently has been the family, sort of the family vibe. This is a thing. I don't know if it's, I think it's been said exactly that way a couple of times, but that just, the, the unit has gotten better each, each season. And as good as last year was that the guys feel even more together now. And even despite being sort of pent up with each other for the last, you know, month and a half or so, that they're all still getting along and, and things are going well. Um, and I'm sort of, I think the skeptic or the cynic in me is likes to sort of say, well, how much does that really count versus, you know, when you're playing against straight up talent, like how far can that get you on the field? Um, I think if you sort of look though, right now with the remaining teams, like no one is, no one is going to straight out gun you uh, who's left in this, in this tournament in the way that like LAFC with Carlos Vela can, or, or the galaxy when they had um, Ibrahimovic or, you know, full strength land with Joseph Martinez, like those teams where you can say all you want about like the vibe in the locker room. Like if you come up against some of those players, you're like, if they have a good game, it's, it's over. Right. I think that doesn't really exist at this point. You're talking about Philly, who are, again, a very balanced front-to-back team. Um, Brendan Aronson, man, looking great. Um, You know, the Portland Timbers, although they have, obviously, talent like Valeri, like Valeri's coming on as a super sub at this point. Um, They're still – and Portland's always played that style of of laying back and then trying to hit you on the counter. Um, You know, one of their biggest stars is is, is Chara, who's really a defensive mid. You know, so that's the identity there. Orlando, again, obviously they have Nani, but still you feel like the, the bump has come from Pereja getting them all to play together. So I sort of think that maybe the family vibe from Minnesota United at this point actually could be a difference maker. You're looking at a bunch of teams that are all sort of balanced teams. If you've got another balanced team, but you have the most heart, for lack of a better term, as far as you know, standing up for each other and picking each other up when they're, when they're down, that, that could make a difference, I think. Yeah, I spoke to Chase Gasper yesterday. Um, and he, he actually said something very similar. It's that, you know, we just have a very good group of guys here. Everyone gets along. And that's not usually the case when you've got a squad of, what, 28 men together. There's going to be disagreement somewhere, you know. Uh, and put together a coaching staff and a backroom staff around it as well. Um, you know, you, you're going to have disagreements. So, um, to, to my knowledge, Chase Gasper was, was very, very positive about the outcome of, of the game. Um, thought that it was the the most tight knit that the unit had ever been, um, and I look. Of course, there's something to be said for that because if you're playing, um, you know, for for a big prize, if you're playing alongside somebody who you actually care about, you, you might just go that extra yard or two just to try and help them out. You know, so um, you know, if I'm playing, if I'm playing centre back with my best friend, and 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 he makes a mistake, and I've got to try and cover. I know I'm going to throw my body in the way of, of the ball or I'm going to go that extra couple of yards just to help it out, you know? And, and if if that is how these players view each other for Minnesota United, then that can only be a good thing, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for the 107th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Thursday, August 6th at 7 p.m. Central Time as the Loons take on Orlando City in the semifinals of the MLS's back tournament. You can watch that on ESPN2 and listen on Score North. 
Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you. People can like you exactly as you are. <laughs> <laughs>